TorahCafe.com. I hope this finds everyone well. We find ourselves in an interesting time right after Yom Kippur, preparing for the holiday of Sukkot. There's a famous story that the Rebbe Rishab, who actually behind me, the picture you can see, uh, who was the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, went into his room with his son, the previous Rebbe. Rebbe Rishab was Rebbe until 1920, and the previous Rebbe was Rebbe until 1950. And he was asked by his son, the Rebbe Rishab was asked by his son, the previous Rebbe, after Yom Kippur, what now? And the the Rebbe Shab said to his son, now we have to do tshuva. Which is an interesting thing to say right after Yom Kippur. Right after the 10 days of tshuva, right after a time that we assume we have been doing a fairly serious job at, at, at tshuva. And yet, immediately after Yom Kippur, the Rebbe Shab said, now's the time to do tshuva. Where does Sukkot fit in this amazing reality called the month of Tishrei, which really is preceded by the month of Elul, a time of preparation for the for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and then the amazing time of the of the ten days from Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Where does Sukkot fit in all of this? The holiday of Sukkot. Sukkot is all about bringing the inspiration of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur into our everyday lives. To say that in Hasidic terms, it means bringing the makif, bringing something that is a residual source of energy, but not necessarily something that I've internalized, into my internal state. Sukkot itself is very, very interesting. The verse says, that you should sit in the sukkah for seven days. And the Rebbe points out that this seems to be an internal, internal contradiction, because after all, a sukkah, by definition, is a temporary dwelling. That's one of the halachic necessities of the sukkah. It cannot be a permanent dwelling. And yet, we're told to sit in a sukkah for seven days. What's seven days? So let me say something fascinating. Seven days represents all of time. To the extent that when God created the world, he created seven days of time. He created Seven days, that's the creation of time. There's the first day, second day, third day, until the seventh day, which is Shabbos. And then we go back to the first day. Which means that we sit in a sukkah through all levels of created time. Which is, on a certain level, a notion of permanence. So what does it mean that we sit in a sukkah, which is something temporary, and yet we do it in a way that seems to denote permanence? The same idea can be found in the notion of sitting in a sukkah itself. The mitzvah is called yeshiva b'sukkah, to sit in a sukkah. A sukkah itself, in physicality, is what we would call a makif, something that surrounds us, something that isn't internalized, but it surrounds us and protects us from outside. And yet, what we're told to do is yeshiva b'sukkah, to sit in a sukkah. And what does sitting connote? Sitting is the notion of of something being settled, something being internalized. And as a matter of fact, the same verse that tells us to sit in a sukkah for seven days tells us why. In order that you should know 
And that word yedu, you should know from the word das, dat, chokma bina das, chabad, that you should know that Hashem took care of you in the desert and put you in sukkahs when, we, when he took us out of Egypt. In other words, sukkah on one hand is the ultimate makif, the ultimate all-surrounding light. On the other hand, sukkah is something that about which I'm supposed to have das. And we, we know from learning Tanya that there are three different levels of intellect. And the level of das is the whole notion of internalizing intellect so it becomes part of my intellectual uh, and my emotional reality. Bina, uh, understanding, is a level of intellect itself, understanding something intellectually. But I can understand something intellectually that doesn't necessarily affect my emotional being. I can know exercise is good for me, but I don't exercise. Das is internalizing that which I know so that it becomes part of my life. So again, this interesting dichotomy in the notion of sukkus. Sukkus is the makif, that all-encompassing light, the residual level of reality, which I'm supposed to bring into my own conscious reality. And that indeed is the whole notion of Sukkot. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are incredibly inspiring days. They're days where we act in a way that doesn't really tell us who we are. Because the level of connection to godliness that we feel in those days isn't necessarily something that I've internalized. Because after all, if I, if I were to internalize that completely, then I'd feel that sense of connection all the time. Whereas Rosh Hashanah and Kippur are days where I feel a more powerful connection. No matter who someone is in the Jewish spectrum, they're, so to speak, more Jewish on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. If they never go to shul, they go to shul on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. If they go to shul every day, they pray, they daven with more intensity on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Why? Because there's a tremendously powerful, transcendent light that is revealed in the world on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and it affects us. It affects us very powerfully. It inspires us. But it doesn't change us. Change comes from within. I can be inspired by external events. I can be inspired by someone else, an idea I hear. But the change that I bring about in myself, no one can change me. The only person who can bring about change in myself, in, in me, is me. Change is an internal reality. Change is bringing the inspiration into who I am and, so to speak, investing the inspiration such that I become a different person day by day. And that's Sukkot. Sukkot is when we take the makif, that all-encompassing transcendent light of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and bring it into our panemius, bring it into our internal reality. And that's why there's actually two very interesting Ramazim, two very interesting hints to this in the notion of the schach. What is schach? Schach is that, that material that we put on top of the sukkah that makes the sukkah a sukkah. That's why a sukkah is called a sukkah because it has schach. Schach is spelled samach chaf chaf. What does that relate to? We blow 60 tekiahs, 20 shvarim, and 20 truas. The 100 shofar blasts that we hear on Rosh Hashanah if you want to see that in physical reality, not some amazing spiritual experience, but rather physical reality, expressing the incredible transcendence of the shofar blast, that's the schach. Look at it. Sit under it. Sit in it. And it'll become part of you. 
The schach also represents a physical expression of the smoke, the anan, the cloud of incense that was brought into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur. So Sukkot is the physical representation of this incredibly spiritual and inspiring reality of, 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 of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So Sukkot is all about internalization, internalizing the inspiration of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur so that it affects my everyday reality. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us that present. And that present is called Sukkot. And that's why, what's Sukkot? What do we do all day? Mitzvahs. Just sitting in the Sukkah and eating a bowl of cereal. You're doing a mitzvah. You actually have to make a bracha before you eat the cereal. The bracha is that I'm commanded to sit in the Sukkah. All I'm doing is sitting there eating the same cereal I eat every day. But all of a sudden, it's not that I have to make a bracha and make a blessing on the cereal because I have to thank God for giving me the cereal. I make a blessing on the mitzvah for eating Cheerios. Because everything becomes part of our relationship with the Kaddish Baruch. There's an amazing story. Rav Aaron Agodal of Karlin was one of the outstanding students of the Magad Mizritch. The Magad Mizritch took over the Hasidic movement, became the leader of the Hasidic movement after the passing of the Baal Shem Tev. And, uh, of course, the Alter Rebbe, the author of Tanya, was one of his illustrious students. Another student was Rav Aaron Hagodal, the great Aaron of Karlin. Interesting about Karlin, Karlin and Lubavitch are the only two groups of Hasidim who can trace themselves all the way back directly with the same name, Karlin and Lubavitch, to Karlin and Chabad, back to the students of the Magid. Rav Arna Godel was, was born in 1736 and passed away in 1772 at a very young age. He passed away a year before his Rebbe, the Magid of Mizrich, who was also the Alter Rebbe's Rebbe, the Baal of Tanya's Rebbe. A, a chassid once came to Lavarna Godel and he complained. He said, I have no inspiration in my, in my service of God. I don't feel inspired. I don't feel energized. So the Rebbe told him the following story. He said, there were once two, what's called lovingly schnorrers, two beggars in a particular town. And they used to go around from place to place, house to house, shul to shul, and schnorr beg for stalker to support their families. But most of their support actually came from one particular rich person in town. He used to give them each 10 rubles, 11, 12 rubles, used to give them enough money that they could live during the week very nicely. Relative. One day, they went to this very wealthy man and he gave them each 10,000 rubles. 10,000 rubles is an, an amazing amount of money, a tremendous amount of money. So one of them went home. He told his wife, I have 10,000 rubles. The so-and-so, the rich man in town, he gave 10,000 rubles. We're rich. And he left his little shack that he lived in with his family on the edge of town. He went into town and he rented a, a, a very nice place. He bought himself two horses and a nice carriage and five new outfits for all of his children and ten for his wife and seven for himself. And he lived like a king for three years. He lived very well. 
but at the end of three years, he had nothing left. He went through all 10,000 rubles, lived very nicely for three years. That was the first person. The second person went home, told his wife, I have 10,000 rubles. And what did he do? He fixed the windows that weren't windows in his little house. He fixed the path. He put a fence around with a gate so that it looked a little nicer. And he fixed up the floor in the house and got a little a better stove so his wife could cook. And he bought everybody one pair of clothing for the week and one pair of clothing for Shabbos, new clothes for everybody, for his wife, also for him. And now he had 9,850 rubles left. And he went and he talked to some people in town. And he asked, what's a good business I can invest this in? And he invested his 9,000 rubles in a business. Baruch Hashem, the business was very successful. He did very well. To such an extent that after moving out of his house, after the first year, and buying something nicer, and obviously living on a much higher level, he still put away after three years 10,000 rubles of profit in addition to the nice lifestyle that he could afford. And he went back to the gvir. He went back to the person who gave him the 10,000 rubles and he said, I want you to know. He changed my life completely. I live a completely different life. My children live a different life. My wife lives a different life. You, you saved us from a life of constantly just living hand to mouth I can't thank you enough. I started a business. It's successful. It produces a nice income and a profit. And I could put away the profit every year. And I actually put away 10,000 rubles and I want to give you back your 10,000 rubles. The Gvir said, I want you to know. You've made me so happy. I saw what you did. I saw what your friend did and I saw what you did. What did your friend do? He squandered his money and he's left with nothing. What did you do? You invested it, and you ultimately made it grow, and you produced a beautiful lifestyle. And I'm so proud of you, and I'm so happy to be part of it. I want you to keep the 10,000 rubles. I don't want them back. Put them away. You're a rich man. You have 10,000 rubles plus a nice business. You're a rich man, and it's all your own doing. Well done. That's the end of the story that Ravarn of Carlin told this Hossein. Then he said, we have moments of inspiration. Sometimes those, those moments of inspiration come from something that happens. Sometimes it's an existential state, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. Sometimes we just wake up on the right side of the bed. What's our job? Invest that inspiration. We're now at a time, Sukkot, where we have to invest the inspiration that the Kodesh Baruch Hu gave us. The previous Rebbe says an amazing maimah. Hasidic Discourse from Yotav Shem Gimel, 1943. He says that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, HaKadosh Baruch Hu plants a seed in every one of us and, so to speak, impregnates us with love and fear. Love of God and fear of heaven. And then what's our job? We have to nurture that seed until finally we give birth to true love and true fear. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are tremendously inspiring times. They're difficult. It's hard work. Davening all day is difficult. 
Rosh Hashanah is two days. Yom Kippur is one incredibly intense day. And on a certain level, that we want it to end because it's hard. On the other hand, we don't ever want it to end because it's so special to be that close to a Kaddish Baruch like we are in Yom Kippur. But those days are gone. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has inspired us. He's lifted us to heights that we didn't know before. Now our job is to bring that down into our conscious reality, to invest that inspiration. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are what's called in Hasidus the Makif, some residual level of transcendent light. It hasn't penetrated. It doesn't change me. It might make me want to change. Oh, now I can take that energy. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot is the time to invest it, to internalize it. Sukkot is all about internalization. When we, when we shake the lulav and the esrog, we bring it to our heart, the same place that we clapped al-chait, that we said to Hashem that we, that we might have acted improperly. Sukkot, it's a time of unbelievable joy, unbelievable internalization. Where does joy come from? It's called Zman Sim Chasim, the time of our joy. Where does joy come from? Joy comes from an internal state of appreciating the presence of God in our midst. That's true joy. We experience joy not necessarily when we're resting. Interesting enough, in us Jews, we call very interesting events simchas. Getting married is a simcha. Two people taking upon themselves real responsibility. A bris is a simcha. Someone just gave birth to a child. That means they have even more responsibility. A kiddush for the birth of a girl, a simcha, a bar mitzvah, bas mitzvah. Young children taking upon themselves responsibility for their actions. That's simcha. Because simcha is when I realize that what I do matters. When I realize what I do is actually important to a Kaddish Baruch Hu and is part of the whole reason that the world was created. When I'm in that state, I'm in a state of simcha. When I appreciate the godliness all around me and the responsibility that I have in order to bring about a revelation of that godliness in the physical world, I'm in a state of constant simcha. And that's, that's sukkahs. Sukkahs, we bring the, the transcendent into our own conscious reality. It becomes who we are. It's a process that continues throughout the whole year, but it starts very powerfully with sukkahs. That's Sukkot. Invest the inspiration of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur in your activity in Sukkot. Take advantage of Zman Simchaseinu, the time of great joy, which is also really Zman Mitzvaseinu, a time of non-stop mitzvah. Lulav, Esra, sitting in the Sukkot. So we wish each other success. Success in internalizing the transcendent. Success in bringing all of that beautiful energy of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur into our own conscious life, our conscious being. We'll invest our inspiration and we'll have a year that'll be a year full of bracha and simcha and a year full of health and ultimately our ultimate prayer that it'll be a year when Mashiach is revealed. We'll all be together here in the Eivishter's Sukkot David and the Kodesh Baruch Hu's great Sukkah, the base of Mikdash, it should all happen. Teke from Yad, Mamish, Mamish, Mamish. And I look forward to seeing you all. I'm speaking to you from Yishalayim. I look forward to seeing you all here very, very, very soon. Good Yom Tif and a Freilich and Sukkot.